so yeah, we were talking about incubators too, and I wanted to ask you a question too about uh, because some people use uh fans in their incubators, but uh, I see a lot of people they get uh other problems when they use fans. Like they might use too big of a fan that might go too high of a speed, and it could dry out their eggs. How do you feel about fans? I mean, I think I think it's important to circulate the air that's in it, but yeah, you do run into a problem if your fan is too much. Um, I think too much circulation. I don't know if it dries it out because you do have, um, you know, the, the lid, it could be sealed. It could be that you could use that press and seal to do that, uh, to seal the moisture and humidity in. Um, but I think that, so, so I don't know if it's, this is, this is probably going to bore people. So, so when you have a fan and you're pushing air, right, it's basically um, stretching out because of the force of the speed uh, of, of the blades, it basically stretches out the molecules within the air. Um, and so when the molecules are far apart, uh, you also get that cooling sensation. Um, and so if you're constantly blowing the fan blade, let's say on the back or on the bottom of one particular egg box that's in your, your incubator, there's gonna be a cool spot there. And so I think that's kind of affected developments of, of the eggs um, in that area. So when I put in fans, I actually like to put in multiple fans, but set them at a lower, uh, lower RPM. Um, and just, just so that I get air movement, but I get consistent and uh, very equal air movements all around rather than have you know, one spot where the fan is blowing crazy just to try to move the air that's in the opposite corner. Yeah, that makes sense too. Uh, that's what I'm going to try. Yeah. So for my incubator, like I said, the one I had and the, the styrofoam one that I have and for the older, older wine cooler incubator that I have, you know, I actually have two fans in there and they're set to medium speed, um, meaning actually there's no, there's no switch on these. So it, it one important, one, one interesting thing about using computer fans is that they're AC powered, right? I mean, sorry, they're DC powered, right? So, so even though the pan, the fan itself could be rated for, you know, 12 volts, if you push in just six volts, it turns at half the speed. So you don't actually have to have some kind of switch or some kind of dial on those fans. I mean, some fans come with a dial, but if you don't have it, you just you can just push in less voltage and the fan blades will spin a little bit slower. Okay, that's good to know because I was thinking about purchasing one of those computer fans too. Actually, now that you've told me about it, how it's good to have the it circulate, circulating at a lower speed at, in different parts of the the mini fridge as uh, I'm, I'm using a mini fridge also not a wine fridge but it's just a just a mini fridge but uh i'm gonna use two computer fans and i i've already spotted ones out that i think that uh gonna be more suitable for me because i can just plug them into an outlet that's usb mm-hmm. and uh the fans the wire that are on the fans are usb so that'll work perfect for me and uh i'll run it off a usb thing outlet but uh i'll run it at a, a lower lower uh speed and put one maybe at the very top of the mini fridge and one at the very bottom okay yeah See um, i can circulate even out the right right and and like the direction of the fan also plays in 
plays a, an important part because sometimes, I mean, you, you can't say here's a solution for every incubator, right? So sometimes you just, you just have to play with the fans, the number of fans, the position, and then the direction that they're pushing the air in. Because a lot of people say you want to have the fans pushing. Hey, Kai. Hey, James. Hey, how's it going there? Good, good. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, Kai, good to have you back on for part two. So what's going on new with you? Um, Not a lot, to be honest. I mean, breeding season just started for me. So, uh, you know, recently just keeping things um, healthy, managing every animal, making sure they're just, you know, being well fed and uh, trying to continue with, I guess, advertising and marketing my brand um yeah just building some racks i think <laughs> i think you probably know more about what i'm doing um just by following my youtube and facebook and instagram and stuff like that um yeah, yeah i follow along <laughs> it's pretty interesting i see you got a lot of stuff actually going on with the racks and stuff like that as you brought that up i seen that you uh, posted up that huge rack with you with you the huge rack in the background of you there on the video yeah that was a that was a pretty big challenge because i have very small space very small workspace and i'm trying to build that thing that pretty much took up the entire footprint of the floor so it was a little difficult to maneuver but yeah i got it i got it done and i'm working on building another one um see what i what i figured was what i found out was uh, my my sub adults when I try to move them to an adult tub, they would sometimes go off of food. Um, I think because it was just too much space for them, like they're just not comfortable and not not confident in, in all that space. So what I've decided to do was look for an for an uh, intermediate sized tub, something that's in between my grow out tubs and my adult tubs. So that's the plan. Um, I did get the tubs. I have them now, but uh, I think I think I can't use them as is. I think I have to make some modifications um, to either the tub or to my rack design. So, still figuring that out for the next rack. Okay, and those tubs are going to be for all sub adults, right? Yeah, they're going to be for like I'm guessing between 700 to 1500 grams, um, and then beyond beyond the 15, I would definitely need the the adult tubs but I, they, they seem like they're a good size even even for a smaller female to breed in so again it's my first time using it so i'll we'll just have to play it by ear okay that's cool uh what's what how many quarts are the tubs the, the new ones you got there you know what i didn't even measure i don't know i don't even know if this actually said how many quarts i think the interior dimensions are about 17 by 12 and then the exterior dimensions are uh 20 by 15 i want to say and they're five inches tall okay yeah that sounds like it'll be plenty of space that's good that's really good so what else new is going on over there is there a lot of clutches going into the incubators so no um I, i i have an incubator I actually have two, you know, I have my very, very first DIY incubator, which a lot of people do is just make, make it out of styrofoam or make it out of a, a cooler. Um, so I have that, but that only holds like 
maybe two to four clutches, depending on the egg box size. Um, but then I have the other one that you guys probably saw on my YouTube videos. It's a, it's one of those wine coolers, those mini wine coolers, and that holds about nine clutches if I push it. But, um, you know, last, last season I got really lucky that, that I didn't have overflow. Um, it just turned out that, you know, when, when new clutch was laid, um, one of the egg boxes was due to uh, one of the clutches was due to pips. I could just swap them out, but I don't think I'm going to be that lucky this season. Um, especially since I'm expecting more females, more clutches. So recently, and I say recently, it was actually this past weekend. I actually picked up another, um, refrigerator that has the glass doors. So it's much taller. Um, and I'm thinking about ways to convert that to an incubator, but, but one of the things that I, I always think about is, you know, redundancy and, um, you know, backups and things like that, because we're essentially putting all of our eggs into one basket, right? So um, it's, it's kind of scary to know that there might be, you know, your entire season's worth of work in one incubator that could potentially fail or overheat. So um I'm trying to think of ways to kind of minimize those risks. Um, yeah, just putting some plans together. I, I'll probably show that in the future video, what I do. But right now, like that, that, that new refrigerator or cooler is sitting in my garage because I just got it in. And it's been raining, so I couldn't even work on it outside. Oh, no, not good weather at all for that kind of work. No, no, because it still has some charge in it, like some of the coolant is still in it. So um, I don't want to bring that in right now. So I definitely have to do that outside. But, yeah, that's that's kind of like one of the major concerns I have all the time every year around breeding season is, you know, having so many clutches of eggs and having all of them in one incubator. Um, you know, we always hear stories about, people having an incubator that was left open by, you know, either accidentally or, or maybe a, a child opened it and forgot to close it, or maybe it overheated and then losing an entire season. But we never hear about people fixing that, you know, aside from being more careful, like what's a good way to go about fixing those, those, uh, these, those incubators to, to remove or, or reduce some of those risks of those situations that could happen where, you lose an entire season's worth of work. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe have two, I'm thinking, kicking around some ideas, you know, maybe have two, um, two controllers on there instead of one. Um, maybe having some kind of alarm system go off. Um, so I'm throwing, kicking around some ideas in my head. Just haven't really settled on a good approach just yet. Yeah, there is some good alarm systems too. You can get out there, yeah. uh, I have a few different controllers that kind of alarm me if uh, the temperature is going down and like I have uh, ink bird in my, uh, my gecko's terrarium, but I have uh, also, uh, I don't know if you, have you heard of uh sensor push? I have, I have. And they're pretty good too, especially for tracking the, the, cons the consistency of the temperatures in your enclosures and stuff like that. And they're so small too. You could stick them just right in your snake enclosure if you want to, a cigar box, anything. Yeah. Uh, I got one and uh, it's 
telling the temperature pretty good and it has the alarms too where it'll go off right if it gets to a certain point right and it'll send the notification right to the app on your phone so you'll be alerted right away right 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 i mean that's that's one of the things i was thinking about is getting something like that um but if you're not home right the the, the other the other concern is yeah you get an alert but if you're not home what do you do you just <laughs> you know what i mean there's there, there's a there's notifications and then there's actual preventions uh of that situation from happening and i'm trying to you know, figure out what's the best way where I could be not home. Maybe if I'm on a vacation, obviously there's COVID right now. It's not, so that's, there's not much vacationing to happen, but you know, what if, what if I'm not home? What if I was traveling for business on vacation or something like that? Um, how do we ensure that from happening, from not happening, you know, um, which is why I was more thinking in terms of having some kind of redundancy in place um, where where you could have one controller set at you know eighty eight point five and then another one set at eighty eight point nine or nine let's say right and so like if the first one fails the second one would kick in and it'll it'll still never allow the temperature to go above eighty eight point nine. Yeah, sounds good. Exactly. I you'd want to get some of that incorporate that into the idea plans for some of these alarm alarm systems that uh, notify you about when the temperatures drop below or above the normal desired temperature mm -hmm. that would be really cool uh insight for the people that actually manufacture those kind of devices too is to get one that's working for incubators that you could be yeah yeah at home or not at home and uh, something goes wrong you could have a way to Right. Maybe something, that if it... something just to kind of hold you over until you can address the problem, right? Like, hey, Kai. Hey, hey. Yeah. Um, so just to continue with uh, the, I guess, the direction of the fan. Um, so I know some people say you have to blow the fan downwards just but because of the simple fact that heat travels up. But I actually found the opposite. For some reason, if I blow downwards, um, I get, I'm getting like hot spots in certain areas. So I just decided to turn them up and blow upwards, and it seems to be working much better. Okay, that's good to know because uh, I intend to set up uh, the fans like I was telling you. So I'll, if it's working out for you, I'm going to try the same thing. Yeah, just try it. I mean, you, you won't know. Like I said, there's, there's, uh, there's no one solution that fits all right so you just have to put in some fans moving things around change the directions and see how it works for you um every every incubator is different um i also found out that like having more egg tubs even if they're empty um it also worked out a little bit better because you know when you open the door and close the door you're not releasing as much of the heat because some of that heat is inside those egg tubs already um, so they're kept inside the egg tubs, even if they're empty. I think I think that that also helps. Um, at least for me, it helps. So you just take the lid off and let the air circulate out of those tubs, right? No, what I mean is, if you're gonna open and close the incubator, right? You're you're essentially every time you open it, you're releasing the warm air, right? But if yeah. you, if you fill up your incubator with tubs, whether they're they have a clutch or they're just empty then when you open the door you're releasing less air less warm air because 
there's not much warm air inside to be released. They're also they're already retained within those tubs. Okay, I get what I get what you're saying. It's almost right. like the same purpose of having the water bottles like all in the bottom right. So when the right. thing opens up, right, exactly, it goes, it goes back to the desired temperature quite much fast. Quicker. Yeah, much quicker. So what are you working with in your collection there that's like exanthic or any uh, powerhouse genes going on that are combined into one? So I guess with exanthics, I'm a little bit behind. Um, my, my goal with exanthics initially was just to create the, the lightning pies, where, where in this case it's uh, the VPI pies. Um, because when I started exanthics, I, I had no idea that I was going to you know become this breeder get to the point where i'm building like you know five six racks and and housing hundreds of snakes so my original goal with exantics was only to make a lightning pipe and that's all i all, all i wanted to do but now um you know seeing some of the other morphs and combos with exantics kind of makes me want to you know really push that project a little bit more um but I just haven't found like really nice exantic um, examples to add to the collection. Um, I think I, we, we talked touched a little bit upon this in the last podcast where, you know, some of them would just yellow out or brown out um, even as, as uh, sub adults. Right. So I don't want to breed that into my, my project. So what I'm doing now is basically using the three awesome examples of exantics that I have which happen to be three females. Um, and you know, you can't breed with just females. So I'm, I'm using a powerhouse male that I created uh, that I produced a couple of years ago. Um, doesn't have exanthic, but he's got like 10 genes. So I'm using him to breed to one of my exanthic females and hopefully make some hets that have, you know, orange dream and enchi and yellow belly and pinstripe and spider and pastel and, I, did I mention fire and fire as well? So like he's got all those genes. So that's that's the route that I'm going in is to first make my own hats, so that I so that I can do my best to try to keep that exantic line that I already have. And then are you going to line breed them back to like the mother or father the the hats? Um. Well, I, I would like to breed the hets back to the other two females that I have first, just so that I kind of, um, you know, not, not start right away with line breeding, but oh, actually, sorry, let, let me back up that that is line breeding, right? When you're, when you're breeding it back to the, uh, the, the mom. Um, but I'm trying to not line breed. I'm trying to, because the, the, the three females that I have are not related, right? So I'm going to have one female, use one female this year to make the hets and then use the hets to breed to the other two females that, you know, they're all still great examples, but they're not related. So I guess I, I just wanted to kind of clarify, that's not really line breeding. It's, it's just breeding. <laughs> okay. There is a difference too. So that's perfect just to understand that part of it. Right. Um, so you're trying, you're trying to make the exanthic basically without the yellow pigmentation at all. Right? You like the, the classic uh, silverish gray sheen, right? Yeah, I mean, to to me, I think if it has any yellow, it's 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 a flaw, right? Because exanthics should just be, you know, silvers and grays, blacks and whites, right? I mean, that's the whole point of muting the yellows and reds. Um, 
when it comes to that exantic mutation. So if, if it has yellows and browns, then that, that means that it's, I mean, to me, this is all just preference. To me, it's, it's not the good exantic example that I want to make. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, doesn't even exanthic, it means lacking yellow pigmentation, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So the yellow and the red are, are the same. Uh, I, what is it? I guess the same mechanism or the same gene that 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 produces red produces yellow. And um, it's just the way that it works. So, um, yeah, essentially, you're just muting that that gene or, or the ability to create red and yellow. And so if you're getting reds and yellows, then then uh, to me, it's just not that great of a quality animal. Yeah, the true exanthics, like the, the, the silverish kind of black one, right? Right, right. I like those. Um, and I'm, I'm this this season. I'm also trying to put uh, hypo into my exanthic as well. So I have plans for a hypo clown to breed to one of my uh, exanthic females as well. So therefore, I'm making some triple hats. Um, not a huge fan of exantic clowns, but but uh, that's the only male that I have, the hypo clown male um, that has hypo. <laughs> so really, don't have a choice there. And the 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 hypo and the exantic are both recessive mutations, right? Oh right, right. Yeah, I mean the clown, the hypo, exantic, the all three of those are recessive in that pairing. So like I said, I'm just going to be making some triple triple hats. Yeah, those are going to be really cool. Yeah, yeah. And the cool thing about the male is that it's also super pastel. So no matter what, he's going to be passing down three genes. He's going to be passing down the pastel, um, het clown, and and het hypo. And then the female is a spider exantic. So, you know, hopefully we'll get some bumblebee triple heads. Oh, nice. That would be very cool. I, ho I hope it works out for you, man. I would like to see the update on that. Yeah, I hope so. I hope she goes. She's a virgin, so we'll see. But looking looking pretty positive right now. Okay, that's good. What, uh, what else you got? Uh, so you, you're, you're not, are you just breeding your snakes? They're not getting uh, eggs as of yet? Or is there some, some, some eggs going into the incubator that you're... Uh, excited for this this spring yeah i'm actually pretty excited about this season um you know the, the last couple of seasons i just didn't have you know either either i didn't have the animals that i wanted and so i ended up just putting a random male to a female that i thought would look cool um but it didn't necessarily push my project forward but this season it looks like you know i have majority of the pairings are are should yield something that I could use for future projects. Um, so, so there's a lot of pieds pairings um, that that should yield visual pie combos. There's several clown pairings that should yield some clowns, but I'm trying to build up um, a, a more more diverse group of clown females, or should, I should say, head clowns, because I'm making a lot of head clowns this season. Um, but nothing, nothing yet. No eggs yet. I did get two ovulations and um, hoping for a clutch of eggs 
around the 20th or the 25th of this month. So it's getting there. Um, the female that is furthest along is a pastel lesser super stripe. And that was paired to the same clown hypo, killer clown hypo that I talked to you about earlier. Um, so we should get some double hats in that pairing. But what I really want to get out of that are some more yellow belly uh, double hats and uh, specter double hats. Because um, I like to see what we could do with super stripe clowns uh, in the future. Yeah, that'll be decent for sure. I I think the yellow belly too is underrated. Uh, it's not uh, seen as much as I think it should be because I really like the the what it does to the sides of the pattern on the snakes. So that mixed with all the others, like just extraordinary what could pop out of a yellow belly. Yeah, I mean the 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 prices have yellow bellies, especially if there's clown involved, whether it's a visual yellow belly clown or a uh, yellow belly head clown if you look on morph market the prices have like doubled for those animals um if you look maybe like three years ago yellow belly with clown just wasn't as as expensive as it is now and i think it all attributes to you know justin producing all those clowns that have really really wacky patterns and the yellow belly definitely wax out the pattern i think people all are gravitated to that to that vision of of a very busy looking clown hey it just gave me an idea <laughs> go for it man yeah yeah i would like to put that yellow belly discipline obviously if justin is doing it then it's got to be fire yeah for sure So what else are you looking forward to uh, in some of the first clutches that you got coming out? Um, Desert Ghost. I'm really looking forward to making some more Desert Ghost because last season I, I got kicked in the butt with that. I mean, I, I, put, I had three females, two visuals, and two hats that were Desert Ghosts. And out of all the pairings, out of all those, I got one visual Desert Ghost Hatchling. So I'm hoping that this season things will turn around. Um, I do have more desert ghost males this season because I kind of have a speculation that maybe last season, uh, maybe the male was just spread too thin. Um, and, and maybe that's why there were either like some slugs in the clutches. Um, it doesn't explain why there's only one desert ghost uh, hatchling, but it, but there there definitely was one female that reabsorbed. Um, I got a few slugs in those other clutches. So this time around, I have a two visual Desert Ghost males and one het male Desert Ghost. That's also um, Enchi Orange Stream Yellow Belly Pinstripe. Uh, at least that's what I think it is. Um, so hoping the fact that I have more males is going to help the uh, the. the fertility rate of those other females okay hopefully that that'll be a high fertility rate that you get yeah because i mean the higher the fertility rate the the better chance of getting you know a visual right because because with a head i mean you're you're already cutting your odds in half with a with a visual to a head pairing you know you're cutting your odds in half because you can only get half the clutch should be um, 
desert ghosts, right? So if you get some 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 uh, slugs in there, then you're you're lowering your odds already. So that's that's kind of my my goal here with using more more males is to increase the fertility, get more eggs, and therefore increase my chances of producing some more visuals. And are you hoping for more visual males or more visual females? You know, it could, it doesn't matter to me at this point, just because last season I only got one. Um, at this point, anything visual is going to, is going to excite me, you know? Um, okay. Yeah. Nice. I mean, my, my first year breeding desert ghost was a pastel desert ghost to a pastel desert ghost. Right. And, and out of that clutch, I got like almost all, pastel desert ghosts and they were i think the 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 male to female ratio might have been something like three to four or four to five i know i definitely know i got more females out of that clutch and i just felt like oh this is so easy to make visual desert ghosts and i ended up selling um all the animal all the all the hatchlings except for one i kept one female right and now two years later um seeing what happened to me last season and seeing and keeping in touch with you know some of the some of the other hobbyists that have that now own those hatchlings that I produced, and I'm like, man, I should have kept them because they, they would be breeding size by now, and I would have like a whole army of pastel desert ghost females. Yeah, and you see them breeding for the people that you sold them for, and you're like, damn, yeah. I wish I would have kept. That yeah, snake. exactly, exactly. Those, those large cut clutches that it's laying for those people man i wish i had that yeah yeah i mean i'm definitely happy for them that they're they're able to get their get their animals to breeding size and everything but i'm like man i should have kept them i really regret selling some of those uh i was gonna ask you another question too because uh, i'm not sure everything that you're working with or anything but uh are you working with any gravel projects or no so you know, I, I, I try to do um, highways, but the male that I got was, wasn't breeding for me. And then it turned out by the time the, it wasn't breeding for me when it looked like it was ready to breed. Um, but then the following year, I want the, the females that I had lined up for that male, I decided were, were more more advantageous for me to use in other projects and so i ended up selling the highway mail um which highway is the yellow belly gravel right um but funny enough i was looking for a mahogany clown or mahogany head clown and the only one that i found was a mahogany gravel head clown so i guess it worked back way. It worked its way back into my collection. So um, maybe not for this year, not for this season, but I'll uh, he'll be ready to breed um, next season, hopefully. That'll be really cool to see. I like the gravel. I just recently got into it, but I I've seen a few people working with it and it's doing some pretty cool things. What so. do you have uh, in terms of gravel? I don't have any gravel. I'm just I'm interested in gravel. I'm thinking about uh, acquiring uh, some gravel down the road, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
hopefully not too far because I'm still working on building a reptile facility, right? So I can, well, it's not even going to be really a, like considered a facility. Uh, facility. It's going to be like a, a reptile workshop. Oh, okay. Thing. What's what, what? Why do you call it a workshop and not a facility? What's the difference in your mind? Oh, because I'll be doing my work inside of there too, right? Like I'll be uh, building my racks and doing all that stuff. I'll be doing it all inside there with where my reptiles are, right? Maybe not in the exact area to get any dust in the air or anything like that, right? But uh, it'll it'll be not so huge as like a facility, like a big facility, but it'll be like uh, the size of a workshop and it, it, there'll be like work in progress going on. Around uh, okay. Now is it, are you acquiring a, another, another property to do that? Or is it just a, no, no, my brother said I could do it right here on our property. Right. So we live on a, a fair, fair size property. Like we got a forest in our backyard with wolves mm -hmm. and everything. Oh, okay. Oh, so you're so, building you're building it from yeah, we got deer that walk. Are you building it from ground up? Yeah, I'm gonna build it from from ground up. I'm gonna. I've been watching YouTube videos on how to build like smaller. Uh, I was looking at sheds at first, and then I said, no, I want like a workshop. I want something like the size of the garage, or well, not quite as big, but a little bit smaller. Than oh, the garage. okay. Oh, wow. That's that's a. I mean, even even though you're calling it a small garage, that's still a, a big project yeah oh it's gonna be definitely a big project i don't see it being finished this year but i'm gonna well i'll get it all standing hopefully right it's a lot of uh money and wood and stuff and too, with so. covid i don't know how it's impacted canada with the prices of lumber and, and uh building materials but over here in the u.s where it's it's more than doubled our our material cost Yeah, that's another thing I have to take into consideration too when I'm building it, right? That's why it's not going to be quite the size of the garage. It's going to be a little bit smaller, but our garage is a fair size garage too. So it would be a big, it's actually a workshop yeah. garage. But uh, I'm going to build it on our property, like towards the back of the property too. And the other thing is that I can't run it off our electricity. So I have to kind of, I'm going to try and uh, see what I can do to heat the place and put electricity through like a turbine through there so because there's a creek mm -hmm. in the back oh okay so i'm gonna try and lay a turbine in the creek and uh have uh power all powered off of uh we'll see how it works though right i might there's gonna be some tweaking and some other stuff going on like to get the everything running the way it should right it's gonna be a work in progress for a while wow wow okay yeah that's a that's a big project to, to take on Yeah, so if I get it like the smaller in size, then the less I'm going to pay for materials. So I, I want it bigger than the standard shed, though. So I want it like a little workshop space. So it's not going to be too huge and it's not going to be too small. It's going to be what average. What are you thinking right? in terms of the footprint? Well, I haven't really been uh, footprinting it out yet. I've just been watching videos of other people that are okay. Them, right? Okay on youtube youtube and stuff like that watching people put them together and stuff like that little yeah. shops and it's hard to find somebody that's putting together a work uh, a reptile workshop because there's not many people that have videos that call reptile workshops right they call it just either a reptile facility right. or a reptile shed or whatever so i just got to look up these videos with it where people are making designs for like workshops to order to get the size the one that i'm looking for right
you would have to pretty much take bits and pieces from different videos, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know. I know one 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 thing that I did when I expanded my my reptile room, and and I put this on my video on one of my videos, was I, I basically created like uh, a drawing, a footprint of of the area that I had, and then um, you know I I cut pieces, little squares and rectangles that were to scale of my racks. And I use that to kind of move. Obviously, you don't want to roll your racks around all, all day long, and it's, it's very time-consuming and it takes a lot of work. So I just basically cut paper to scale, and then I just move them around on on that drawing that I made to see what fits best where. Um, and so, you know, I, I said to myself, "Okay, this is what it looks like now. Here, here's all the, all my pieces that are that are that represent my racks." And here, here are the other places that I could I could put the put this put those racks to maximize my my floor space, right? To to get the most out of my the space that I have. And then here's you know what it would look like if I you know so basically just different options of layouts using those those pieces of paper so that I can have an idea of of like how many racks I can put in, how many hatchlings I can I can house, how many adults, and then that gives me an idea of like what size I can grow to before I need to make more changes. So that's why I I was asking you like, what's your footprint? Because those are, I guess, once you realize from watching those videos, how to build it, I guess that's the next step is how big you want to build it. Yeah. And that sounds proper too. It sounds very smart to have a footprint for your stuff. I'm going to put one together now that you mentioned it, I'm going to put one together and uh, cut out the shapes like for the racks, like you said, on a, on a piece of paper and just put them on top yeah. of the diagram so I can move them around to where I want them, right? And see how much I'll have room to grow and exactly to know what kind of space I'm looking yeah, for, yeah. right? Yeah, because as you know, like building that is a lot of work, right? And you want it to go right the first time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Before you waste all that money on material. And yeah, because right? yeah, just imagine if you wanted, you know, like four of these adult racks that go along the wall, if you just mismeasured and you're short by one inch, well, you're, you can only fit three. You know, you can only fit three instead of the four because you're off by one inch. So. Now, on, on those papers, too, to get a rough size of how much space you're going to use. I know the diagram should be pretty like it should be having all the proper sizes. Do you write down like as of your snake rack on the shape that's representing your. Yeah. Rack? Yeah. So for the footprint, what I do is I'll, I'll measure the area of, of like, I, I did mine in my basement. Right. And so I kind of measured out with the tape measure, how many feet um, I have to work with. And then I basically converted every foot to an inch on paper. So it's, so it's, it's on a much smaller scale. And then I did the same thing for the racks. Like I would measure my hashling rack, which was, I believe, 14 inches by 46 inches. And then I, I scaled them down the, um, using the same scale that I did with the, the floor plan so that everything was to the same scale. And then I cut them out and, um, you know, I would write on them. Some, some, sometimes it's, it's pretty obvious, right? Like my, my, 
adult tubs, my adult racks are more of a square shape. And then my hashing rack is more of a rectangle shape. So in those cases, if I can tell just by the shape, I didn't need to label those. But if, if they were like very similar in shape and size, then I would label it. I'm still here. You're still there? Okay, okay. Just making sure. <laughs> Got cut off a few times. Didn't know if it was going to be uh, hearing anything back. So it's good that you didn't get cut off. Um, so are you going to be building any more racks? Are you going to be able to fit any in your spot? Oh, for sure. No? For sure. I'm going to um, – like I said, I have plans to build an intermediate size uh rack for intermediate i'm going to build a rack for intermediate sized tubs that's what i was trying to say um so those will be for animals that are you know too big for my grow out rack but but not big enough for an an adult uh 28 quart tub so so i have plans to build two of those racks um i have plans to build another adult size uh adult tub rack um and then beyond that point i'm kind of playing it by ear because i really don't know how much hatch how many hatching racks i need to build or how many more sub-adult racks i need to build i'm kind of just playing it by ear the good thing is i get all my material from my local home depot so i can pretty much throw together a rack in under a week um just by working you know a couple hours a day cutting the material, getting it ready and all that stuff. And I mean, like when I say getting it ready, I, I mean from start to finish where it could be usable, like putting in all the heating elements and the wiring and all the everything. So in under a week is being very generous. I could probably do it in a day if I had everything. So I'm not too concerned with, you know, running out of, out of, out of tubs and space right now. Um, but, but I definitely don't want to overbuild, right? I don't want to have like, all of these hashling tubs and racks where, uh, and I'm only filling in half of half of them. So um, that's why I'm playing by ear. Okay, perfect. That sounds good. And uh, I'll be taking the the notes off your, your videos there. When I see you post the one up there for the, the sub adult ones, the intermediate ones, right? I'm going to do a intermediate one myself too. So I could, uh, because I'll mostly be acquiring snakes, so uh, the snakes I'll be picking up will be just like under breeding size, like sub-adult, right? Because I'll be having breeding plans, so I'll be definitely looking to house them in that. So I'm going to start off with, uh, f- for my workshop, I'm going to start off with like a sub-adult rack and yeah, go from there. Yeah, because anytime you build a, a, a rack or, or enclosure for bigger than the hatchlings right so so once you build that your hatchlings are pretty pretty much going to you have smaller snakes that are going to move into that um and so that all allocates space or make space available for smaller snakes right so so like when i when i create my intermediate size tub and not the tub the, the rack once i build that rack i'm going to be moving the sub adults to the intermediate size um rack that i just built therefore it's going to make some of the tubs that are in my grow out rack available for my hatchlings to then move into 
right? And then the hatchling tubs will be empty. Um, and then those will be available when I get more hatchlings. So I don't want to go off and just build a bunch of hatchling racks because I don't know um, how much space I actually need because they're, they're constantly moving up to the next tub size. Yeah, it's like you got to right, see as right. you go type thing. Yeah, I'm going to start off with a sub-adult rack and then I'm going to get a, a rack for like... I don't know if I should build one for the grow-outs first or for, for hatchlings, right? Because I won't be doing hatchlings right away. I probably won't, you know, find a mature breeding female off of Morph Market or anywhere. I, well, who knows? Maybe I would, but uh, be way out of my price range. But anyways, it, it'll be just under breeding size, most likely anything that I'll be picking up. So that'll go perfectly in a rack like that. And then maybe I could work on a, either a hatchling rack or... A, a rack that's for grow out snakes that are extra big, like 41 quart, but I don't think that's necessary. I probably won't need to build a 41 quart anytime soon either. So I'll probably just stick with the intermediate size one than uh, a hatchling yeah, rack. Yeah, down sounds the road. like a good plan. I think I, I did build a 41 quart rack before, um, a, a rack for the 41 quart tubs, but I just found it too big and bulky. So. And none of my females were at the size where they needed a 41-quart tub. So I ended up just tearing it down. Um, but I do have plans to build something close to 41 in the future, just in case I have like maybe a, a gigantic female that needs to move up or something like that and needs more space. Um, so I just want to have something on hand just in case. You know, It's always good to have it and not need it and to need it and not have it. Yeah, exactly. Have you worked with any other snakes? I was uh, just wondering if you've worked with uh, Jigsaw or Kingpins. Do you have any of those in your collection? Jigsaws or Kingpins. I know those are designer names. What What are they? What are the morphs? Like a Pinstripe Mojave, I think one of them is, and a Pinstripe oh, okay. Lesser. Uh, the jig, Jigsaw, uh, Jigsaw and... Uh, the other okay. one's the kingpin, yeah. Um, I mean, I have those genes, but I don't have them combined like that. Oh, okay. You just have them in other animals that have other genes too with them. Yeah, because I, I mean, I've had, I've had opportunities to make you know lesser pins, um, but they just never came out together on one animal. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I want to get with some of those too. I like the the lesser pinstripe. The it's either the kingpin or the jigsaw. One or the other. That one is labeled as. But either one of those would be nice too. Uh, pinstripe. I've always been a fan of pinstripe, and a lot of people don't even, you know, I wouldn't say this, but I actually I, I don't know a hundred percent if, uh, but you don't see it much as the genetic stripe in the ball python anymore. Like I was seeing some nice orange ball pythons with a really nice genetic stripe on them. Those things looked extraordinary, and I don't even see them around. Now, anymore. are you talking about the gene genetic stripe, or are you just talking about a, uh, an animal that has a stripe down its back? Well, I'm talking about an animal that is part genetic stripe and part like I wouldn't say orange ghost or anything but like part um, 
banana oh, okay. or part. So, so, so it's a genetic strike combo of some sort. Yeah, exactly. But I've seen some really nice genetic stripes that are mixed with like snakes that are more orange, right? And they come out really nice, right? Like I always wanted to get my hands on a snake that's just an eye popper like that, but I don't see them no more, right? I don't see the people. So. Genetic stripe was probably one of the cooler um, pattern mutations. But then when when people started to find out that yellow belly inspector and you know those those um the super stripes came out they started gravitating towards those um because they're probably a little bit cheaper and because they're codoms um you would always get something visual it's a it's an act like super right the super stripe is an act like super so you would always get something visual um so I think that's that's probably why the genetic stripe kind of got lost, but it's it's making a comeback. I mean, I think I think people are trying to put it to clowns, definitely trying to put it to desert ghosts and enhancers. I think Billy from Mutation Creation is doing that. Okay, and that's right here in Canada too. Yeah, I know Billy. Yeah, I want to work with it too, for sure. There, I want to work with a lot of stuff that pe- a lot of people aren't working with, so that I could, you know see what i can combine that with right i mean a lot of stuff has already been done but uh i'm just saying the people the morphs that people are less paying attention to or it could be just in my opinion that they're less paying attention maybe i'm just not seeing them because people aren't posting them but they have them right this could be very well right that they do have these snakes around but uh i'll be looking forward to getting a couple genetic stripes into my collection once i start building it right yeah yeah you should get genetic stripe. It, it's a cool, it's a cool mutation. I mean, it's it's recessive, uh, so it takes a while to to work into other other projects. But definitely, like you can see, it's it's making a comeback. Like I said. Okay, I'll keep an eye out for them. See if I see any popping around. If I see any nice orange ones too with the genetic stripe, I'll uh, share share the picture of it with you because I I love those animals. I think they're the some of the best ball pythons. I've yeah, seen. yeah, for sure. Like I, I love uh, I love to see a genetic stripe Ultramel or a genetic stripe candy or toffee. I don't even know if it's been made. I haven't really looked, but like I think that pattern with some of those albino. Um, mutations are just going to look awesome um ultramel rainbow what's the other one that i'm thinking of um th- there's, there's another albino one i can't think of right now uh lavender yeah lavender albino. albino that's one of them no it's, it's one it's one that is um god i can't remember what it's called it looks closer to ultramel than than the lavender albino it's it's kind of dark and very yellow and orange with with that with those like nice tan colors like an ultramel what's the other gene it's like ultramel i can't think of what it's called yeah i can't think of it either if it comes to mind i'll 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 say it but but yeah like some of those banana for example like i think i think uh um a G-straight banana would look cool, um, especially if that banana has some black pastel or 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 uh, cinnamon or something dark in it to really make those colors pop. You know, to 
to make that contrast. Um, but definitely, I think Billy's going in the right direction with Desert Ghost. I think he's using Enhancer, which is compatible to Desert Ghost. Oh, okay. I'm learning something new every day here. Uh, I want to get Desert Ghost, too. That's another thing I would like to get into my collection at some point would be Desert Ghost. So uh, I'm going to be working with a few of the ghost lines uh, while well, I intend to. I would, would like to work with all the ghost lines, actually, the the hypos, right? Um, Orange Ghost, Green Ghost, and Desert Ghost. I know the Desert Ghost is different than the, rig, the, the other ghosts, but... Uh, I like the way the desert goes interacts with other mutations too. So it's really a gene that has lots of potential yeah, yeah. for sure. Okay. So we're going to wrap up this episode uh, and people can get in touch with you on Facebook and what is your other social media platform? Yeah. So it's a uh, Lucas Landon on? on Facebook, Lucas Landon Royals on Instagram and Lucas Landon Royals on YouTube. Um, also Lucas Landon Royals on Morph Market. Um, and my email is actually in the, uh, the, 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 the about section of, uh, of my YouTube channel. Um, and I actually created a webpage for myself. It's just lucaslandon.com, which pretty much has my logo on there and then links to my social media platforms. Okay, I'll be checking that out too, your uh, your website, your new new site. And uh, I've seen you on Morph Market, so I know you're Thanks. on there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I just recently signed up with them, right? Uh, I thought they needed a driver's license, and I never drove before, so I'm just like, uh, I guess I can't create an account, right? Uh, that's in order to create a buyer's account, right? They asked to see some ID, right? So they actually took my health card, so that was very oh, okay. good. I was able to create an account there, and I've seen a, yeah, I've seen a, a, a bunch of breeders that I know of that are all on there, so that seems like a cool platform. I'll be uh, surfing around on Really? Yeah, it's definitely a great platform for breeders and buyers and everyone in the hobby who's looking for an animal or trying to sell an animal. I see there's a lot of stuff out of the States, though, mm -hmm. that's on uh, Morph Market because uh, I'm in Canada, right? I've been trying to search for Canada yeah, yeah. breeders like within Canada and stuff. And then I'd say a majority of those breeders are from Yeah, the US I think there's a sure. there's a bigger uh audience and a bigger bigger um more hobbyists in the US. But if you look on Morph Market, there's settings in there where you can select the country that you want to look in. So you're only getting um you know, you're you're not you're not uh bombarded by all the US breeders. You can maybe just filter by Canada or filter, you know, you can filter by country. I think there's a lot of European um, yeah. uh, breeders. There are a lot of Canadian breeders, so you can filter by country. That'll help you cut things down a little bit so you can focus on the breeders that are in your area. Okay, yeah, for sure. That's what I was doing, too. I would, it would say filter right on the right-hand side of the screen, and I'd filter it out to, like, you could actually write in how many kilometers within your radius that you want to, or, yeah, I think it's kilometers to get a hold of somebody right so that's very it's a very cool place right the morph market i'm definitely going to support them and I, I see that they support oh yeah, USR yeah too, so that's good 
All right. So that was great. It was nice having you on for a part two of the podcast. And uh, I'll let you All know right, thanks, uh, once James. it goes on for sure. And we'll keep in touch, Kai, and uh, see what happens for you in the future. Keep us posted on the on the the group too, Wild About Ball Pythons. Anything that's uh, hatching, because we love seeing stuff like that, right? And I know that time's rolling around in yeah, uh, yeah, the next will, few months, we'll, right? We'll do for sure, man. Awesome, great having you on. All right, Kai, thanks, thanks for having me. Take care. You. Bye. Yeah, thanks. Take care. Bye.